All right, well, welcome here, everybody. Maybe for the last time. My name's Rob. I'm one of the, the, the people here who do things. And uh, we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. It's very famous. How many people have ever memorized Psalm 23 or think you could give a good stab at reciting it if you had to? Awesome. So you'll be familiar with this one. And I hope this morning to do two things. I hope to just have a good vision of the Lord for our encouragement. I know that many people are dealing with illness and sickness. I know many people are dealing with weariness. Um, And so we're going to spend some time just meditating on part of God's word that highlights his faithfulness. And I also want to do a second thing, though, because I don't want us to miss out on the Lord. And so I want to introduce this idea of something I'm calling uh, waste faith. Waste faith. All right. The word waste, as in wasting something, and the word faith together. And I feel like I'm ringing. All right. This will never happen in the new building. I should just, just to prove how bad it is, I'm going to just shriek right now. And all of your eardrums will explode. <laughs> just kidding. Um, waste faith. It's when you know the truth, but something's missing so that the truth isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing in your life. There's something missing. And I call that thing, whatever that thing is that's missing, waste faith. Because it's, it's causing your faith to be wasted. Have you ever had that before? Where it's just like, I know the truth, but it, I don't feel like I know the truth. I'm not acting like I know the truth. Something's miss, missing. And so I'll give you an, an illustration of this. This morning I had a, a coffee version of waste faith. So mornings are, are great things for many people. One of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning is the decanter of coffee that is awaiting me in the kitchen. And so I stumbled like somebody who had just been beaten up in the streets towards the kitchen this morning, eyes swollen shut, towards the coffee machine. And I I got into the kitchen and I looked at the coffee pot and something looked strange. And I pulled out the pot and the coffee looked really clear. Like, so clear, in fact, that there was no coffee in the coffee pot. And so I'm trying to figure this out, and the brain isn't working. I'm like, it looks really clear, and this thing's way too light. Did Jackie drink it all? That's where I went, right off the bat. Did she drink it all? I made six cups. And the machine is is on, the lights are all on, and as, as I thought about it in my head, I figured out what happened. It only took 15 minutes. And I realized that I hadn't put any water in the coffee machine in the morning. I put the coffee grounds in there, and then Jackie wanted to talk about something, and then bada boom, you're there in the morning, and there's no water in the machine. And that is a great example of waste faith. The grounds were in the machine, the machine was programmed, the machine ran, the machine was hot. I pulled a hot coffee pot out of the thing. There was just one thing missing the water. And so did I get any coffee? No. Sometimes there can just be like one thing missing and it doesn't work. 
You can have the best car in the world, but if there's no gas in the tank, are you getting to church on time? No. Just because you're missing the gas. And so sometimes we can hear a message, sometimes we can be hearing God's word, sometimes we can be serving the Lord, and we can have waste faith. There can be one thing missing that robs us from the whole event functioning the way it should. Has anybody ever had that before? So we're going to read this, the Lord's Psalm, well, sorry, Psalm 23. I want to call it the Lord's Psalm. kind of is. It's the best one. And then we're going to work through this, and I'm just going to pick some times, and we'll think about where waste faith could rob us from believing the truth about God from Psalm 23. These are the very words of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for you. Thank you for the fact that you are God and God alone, God of all the ages. Thank you for your awesome son, Jesus, who is our Savior and King. Thank you for the Holy Spirit sent on mission to the world and to the church to convict us of sin and of truth and of judgment and to lead us to being rescued and being brought into a life of being shepherded by God until Christ returns or we see you face to face. God, I need grace. I need grace to do to be your servant this morning. So would you give us a fresh portion together? And Father, as we talk about this idea of waste faith, Lord, little things that can rob us of big things, would you highlight for each one of us something to deal with? And would you give us a zeal, Lord, to reject waste faith in our life. Ideas, thoughts, feelings, actions, behaviors, personal cultures, anything, God, that robs us from the very best you have for us in Jesus Christ. I ask this for your glory displayed in praise in the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So good to be here with you this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Most of us believe half of what I just read. We'll come to this line maybe later on. I want to keep going. The first half of this psalm, kind of David is writing this, King David is writing this, and he's picturing himself as a sheep, really. And the Lord is his shepherd. And as you, if you, as you read the Bible, you know that David spent a lot of his growing up years being a shepherd. And so he knew about this a bit. 
And it's good to remember that in David's time, they didn't really have like stationary farms like we would today where you keep your cattle in a barn or penned in and you kind of bring the food to them, right? You've got tractors that harvest stuff and then you throw the hay bales wherever it needs to be. For um, farmers in the, the Middle East, maybe they do it a lot like that today still, but in David's time, being a shepherd meant just moving your flocks from one place to the next as the, the sheep and, or the goats would eat all the food and then you needed to get moved on. And so the shepherd had a really um, heavy-duty task of guarding these sheep and moving them around and caring for them because if you just tried to stay in one place, they would eat all the food and then they'd starve and die. And so here is David, though, reflecting on his activities as a shepherd and seeing that it is a great picture for how God takes care of his people. So one of the first pictures that he has to describe the Lord being a shepherd is he makes me lie down in green pastures. So God cares. He knows that just the same way that a shepherd knows that if a sheep's going to be healthy and not die, he needs to eat. It's the shepherd's job to get the sheep fed. And so David says, you know, God's like that. He moves me to the place where I will be fed and sustained. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And as you live in the Middle East, there are seasons where the grass is really dry and there are seasons where it's raining and the grass is sprouting fresh green sprout, offshoots, whatever you want to call it. And so there's this beautiful picture of a shepherd who has scouted out and found the next best place for his flock to go. And he's come and he's brought his sheep there and he makes them lie down. So, well, who doesn't love eating lying down? Come on. That's why they invented television. That was a weird thing to say. Anyhow, this is the picture that God is caring for sheep and wanting to keep it healthy and wanting to keep it fattened up. And he brings it to... He, brings the next picture along he says he he leads me beside still waters and so sheep need to eat and sheep need to drink especially in hot places like in the middle east and so the shepherd has brought his flock not to a kind of raging river not to white waters not to some kind of flood water that where if you get a rain upstream 100 miles away or 50 miles away all of a sudden the river's going to be engorged and flood its banks like the Jordan does sometime and sweep the, the sheep away. He's led the sheep to a place where they can get access to a river in a safe way, where they can drink without danger. That's how I understand the quiet waters. It's not like it's you can't tell there's a river there and all, all of a sudden you fall in the river because there's no burbling and there's no... Blood. It's, it's still enough to, be, to, to meet that need to drink without being dangerous. Has anybody ever seen like white water rapids? You know, there are, there are rivers that you can die trying to drink out of because they're just raging. And then, you know, if you're going through the Rockies and it seems like every riverbank is made out of just like silt and stones. So if you try to walk near the river, you're in and you're gone. And it's, it's crazy. Short story. I grew up in a, in a town, which may be a city now, called Whistler. It's in BC. They had the Olympics there a few years ago. And it was uh, founded by a bunch of like hippie skiers. And so there was one river in Whistler that we knew about, and they called it the River of Golden Dreams. You know, not, not very practical name, like around here, where you just call it like the Stony Brook, because 
It's literally a stony brook. No, it's, it's this is the river of golden dreams. I don't even know how you pull that one off. I'm, I'm assuming there were some chemicals involved in the naming. But that is the official name of the river there. But it was this nice, calm river that you, we went paddling down one time or canoeing down. The only problem with it was the glacier-fed river, so that it was like just one degree above freezing. And so I thought I'd go swimming in it when we stopped this one time and I walked into it. All of a sudden, I couldn't breathe. Have you ever had that? You get in cold water and your, your torso just seizes up. And I was just like... Trying to call for help because it was a lot deeper than I knew it was. The Lord doesn't do that to you. The Lord doesn't throw you into a river that wants to kill you. Verse 3, he restores my soul. This is what the Lord's like. He knows we need. And he knows how to meet our needs in a, in a healthy way. And that's his desire. That's his shepherding heart. He wants us to be alive the way he's made us to be alive. So far, so good. Second half of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, this is this is where things can get a little bit um, waste faith for us because this is a tough verse if you think about it to read because who doesn't want to lie down in green grass especially in February come on you hear about people going on vacation and you think about sabotaging their houses while they're gone they can come home to a pile of scorched rubble. You know, this, this stuff happens. In February, you want, you hunger for green grass. You wouldn't mind going for a dip in a nice river somewhere, having your soul restored. But then David starts talking about being led in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And this is where, where waste faith can come because when we think about having our souls restored, when we think about having our needs met, we don't always think that the thing I need most is to be taught how to be righteous in God's sight. Sometimes you might just want to sleep in. Amen? I think I could use maybe one time change a month. You know, you get the good time change where you get to sleep. I use one a month where we just all change our clock back an hour, for it an hour, and just go for it. Restoring your soul could be like having a night away from the kids. Restoring your soul can be all kinds of things. And those aren't necessarily bad things. But if you're following David, as David is thinking about the, uh, the Lord being the good shepherd, he, he brings these pictures of being fed and being made healthy and being made alive. And he says, the path that God leads his sheep on to get there is the path of righteousness, teaching us how to walk righteously in his sight. And then to make it even a little bit more jarring for us, he explains God's motivation for doing this as for his name's sake. Somebody wrote a book once, a couple hundred years ago, 
and I'm, I would butcher the title, or I'm about to, but I think it's something like the ends for which God created the universe. And what essentially he's saying is, from Scripture, why does God say he does everything? And if you read through it, he just works through all, all these Scripture passages, and he points out this fact, and I found it really convincing. It's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, it's like that. And he says, every time God starts to talk about why he does things, He will get to a place where he says, and I do it for the praise of my glory, or I do it for the praise of my glorious grace, or I do it for my namesake, or I do it so that people will know the name of the Lord in the earth, and then he stops. He'll say, I'll do it because I love you. And I love you for the sake of my name. I do it because I chose you. I predestined you before the foundation of the earth for the sake of the praise of my glory. I do this because this and this and this and this and this because of the sake of my name. And he stops. And God has not revealed that he does anything beyond or behind his glory being displayed in the world. And when I first started to hear about these kinds of scriptures, I got really offended by it. Because it doesn't, it didn't make me feel special. Right? If God's going to lead me in paths of righteousness, not because I'm so worth it, or because I'm so cool, or because I'm so needy even, or because I'm so wonderful, if that's not going to be the reason, that doesn't make me feel very special. That response is waste faith. Because what's the truth? I get to be a sheep. I get to go to the green pastures. I get the quiet waters. I get the restored soul. I get the paths of righteousness. And if God is doing these things for the sake of his glory, if he's doing these things for the sake of his name being on display, that's the best reason. Not a bad reason. Does that make sense? And so for me, I think that that I can definitely take time to check for waste faith in my heart, in my mind, and go, do I really want the shepherding of God to be so that His name is made great in the world and I get to learn how to be righteous? And if that isn't my core desire, that's waste faith. But It's just... Something's going wrong. I'm going to show up someday to the coffee pot of my Christian walk and I'm going to pull this out and I'm going to be like, it's empty. Why is this thing empty? I put the grounds in. I press the button. I brought my desire for sweet black gold. I've got the chocolate quick mix right here to put into my cup. I've got the half and half creamer, which you do half creamer and half coffee, so that it is literally ice cream warm. I'm all ready to go, but something's gone wrong. God, why have you failed me? To which the Lord could say, you never put in the water of caring about my glory. You never put in the water of wanting to be transformed 
to be made righteous like God for the sake of my name. And now you're going to be grouchy because you don't have coffee. One thing about waste faith. I'm not introducing the idea of waste faith so that we can tell other people that they're doing waste faith. That, in fact, is waste faith itself. Jesus talked about that with motes and beams in our eyes. He calls people who do that kind of thing hypocrites. This is a self-diagnostic. Don't, you don't have to go to Google. Just check your own heart. And you know what? When we do a good job of checking our own heart for waste, waste faith, God can bring people to us who will be blessed to learn what we've been learning because we want to be changed for God's glory. And you know what? You can run with that. Next, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I see, as I think through my own heart with this, many areas where I can have waste faith with Psalm 23. Number one, Maybe you're like me in thinking that if you're walking with God, you shouldn't have to go through a valley of the shadow of death. Anybody? Just for you on the internet, I'm not alone here in the room. You can't tell right now, but it's true. Don't we sometimes think that if I'm a Christian and I'm trying to obey God, I shouldn't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's waste faith. Real Christianity goes through the valley of the shadow of death because guess what? That's where the shepherd leads you sometimes. And it's his call. The whens and the hows are his call. He's the shepherd. My job is to learn how to fear no evil. The reason I often fear evil is because I'm very unconvinced that God is with me. And I'm very unconvinced that God is with me because I don't find comfort in his rod and his staff as he leads me. The rod and the staff are weapons. Sometimes people say the rod is for hitting things. And the staff is for leading things. I don't think you tell a shepherd what to do with his tools. I think he can whack what he wants with whatever he wants. Amen? Waste faith hears about the dangerousness of God and pulls back instead of finding comfort. Our God, the living God, is the most dangerous being ever. Not only does he hold the keys of life and death and decide when someone should be born and when someone might die, not only is he the king of justice and can decide whoever gets to go to jail for however long he wants to, for right reasons or wrong reasons, but he is also the God over all eternity and decides the eternal fates of every human being. And let me tell you, if you don't want to have waste faith, please believe he is not messed with. He's neither manipulated or cajoled. He is the righteous judge of the universe. He's a shepherd who has a rod and a staff. 
and his sheep go, thank goodness. Thank goodness you'll whack me when I need it. And thank goodness you can break whatever you need to that would come against me. He's a good shepherd. We can all go through the valley of the shadow of death because God can destroy any danger that really does come. He's the strong shepherd. And waste faith for me thinks, no, if I'm in the valley, it's already gone wrong. If I'm in the valley, I'm already alone. If I'm in the valley, God's already failed. I, I, I sometimes get the sense that it's, that it's very normal for us to think uh, we should call God Tutu. Too little, too late. Because whenever, you know, something happens, we always think, God, where were you on that one? When you, you never show up, and when you do, you don't do enough. That's not the truth. The truth is he's a good shepherd, and he's leading us where he wants us to go. He's never too little. He's never too late. He leads in paths of righteousness. He has his rod. He has his staff. He's as good as good can be and as dangerous as dangerous can be. And he knows what he's doing. Waste faith thinks that I'm a better shepherd than the shepherd. You know what? I'm a sheep. Compared to a shepherd, I'm always the weak one, always the needy one, always the vulnerable one, always the dumb one, always the straying one. This is the thing about sheep. Sheep wander off thinking they know better, and, but what do we call a sheep that wanders off to find a better field and a better way to get where we're going? You call them? Well, they get there. You call them lost. A sheep that wanders off because it knows better than its shepherd is a lost sheep. Not a smart sheep. Anybody? I hate waste faith. I wish I weren't so good at it. Now as I understand this psalm, after talking about the valley, David changes pictures here. From him being a sheep under the staff of a shepherd to him being a guest at the house of like a Middle Eastern royalty, like a sheik or something like that. He's been invited into the noble tents of a very rich person. Some people think that the shepherd imagery goes all the way through so that when it's talking about preparing a table, it's still talking about sheep or anointing heads with oil. It's still talking about sheep. As I understand Hebrew, that's not how it works. Tables always mean people eating at this thing and not lands and stuff, so I don't read it that way. So as I read it, David is now kind of thinking his way through from having a restored soul to being led in paths of righteousness and then going through the valley with the Lord, but finding his comfort in the nearness and strength of God. And then he starts talking about this. Another, this is really interesting. So if you can picture it in your head, imagine you've been invited into this old school tent, the tents made out of hides mostly and everything's covered in dust. And, and there's when you come to this spread, it would be like a huge, there'd just be food everywhere in this, all these uh, word that escapes me on the ground. And you're going to come and lie down and there's just all this food in front of you. <clears throat> and David's still you can see he's bringing in still this imagery of being in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death by now having this sense that he's surrounded by enemies, but he's not alone. He's actually at the feast of God. 
okay, does anybody consider there might be some waste faith even in this picture here? Has anybody ever felt like if you know you have an enemy, you obviously can't feast at the table of God? Right? That's not true. According to the psalm, David says, I can actually be at the feast of God in the presence of my enemies. I don't know if he means at the same table or if they're just outside grumbling or whatever. It doesn't explain. It's not important. But David, David's true faith is that no matter what's going on, I can be at the feast of God because of God's generosity. Not because of other people or what they're doing. I can be at the feast of God in the presence of enemies. Most of us emotionally can't get there because of something. And whatever that something is, is is probably waste faith. It's wasting your opportunity to walk in faith with God. I can feast with God even in the presence of enemies. And so he continues these pictures of a rich person showing hospitality to a guest. You anoint my head with oil. That would usually be like olive oil being poured on someone's head. I guess in like dry, dusty places, you know, your scalp or your hair dries out. And this is, this is part of just a hospitality. But it can also be a sign of like anointing and honor, right? My cup overflows. I love this picture. Somebody who's so generous with you that they sit you down at the table and they're like, want some wine? Yes, I'd like some wine. Okay. And they just keep pouring. And it's running, it fills up, and you're showing, and then and it's all the way to the top, and then it's spilling over, and now it's ruining the carpet, and it's soaking into the earth, and it glug, 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 and you're thinking, oh man, if we were at Olive Garden, you've already spent 40 bucks just on my one cup, you're just pouring all over the place, you're making a mess. I think sometimes waste faith keeps our eyes so much on the stuff we think isn't happening right that we can't see that God is not stopping pouring out his goodness in ways that really matter. You ever felt like that? Is that just me? So David ends, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love, I mean, this is, there's a reason this is so popular. This is, there's a reason this is one of the most known chapters in the Bible. It's so good. And uh, I, we've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, that follow after me part is um, an under-translation. So an under-translation is when the translators pick a word in English that doesn't actually carry all the meaning that the Hebrew would have. In the Hebrew uh, word, it's the word that you would use when an enemy's been conquered and the winners want to chase after them to despoil them, to like grab their gold and their silver and carry off all the, everybody as slaves. They, they chase after them to, to make sure they catch them. They want to get everything they can out of these people. 
That's the word they use. And it's pretty clear that that's, that's mostly what it's used for. So if you hear this and you hear, surely goodness and mercy shall follow after me, and it's kind of like, you know, your kids when you're at Superstore and you're trying to get all your shopping done quick, and they're just like, ooh, stuff. And they put their hand out and just walk down the aisle, knocking down all the cereal all over the place, and falling, hurry up, Jimmy! You're not getting your Cheetos for breakfast! However that works, I don't know. I made that up. This this isn't a tugging a leash following after goodness. This is, you can run, you can hide, but it will catch you goodness. This is a frighten you goodness. So let's go back to the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And let's look at maybe, perhaps, maybe it's just me that the hardest part of this psalm to embrace with full faith would be the I shall not want part. Right? Because don't we all want things we don't have? And I think what, what you can do looking at this whole thing, if you're like me, you can just look over it. And if I were to look at the one big waste faith I would have looking at this psalm that would rob me from the shall not want, it would absolutely be not noticing how God is the active shepherd in this psalm and in life. David's doing most of the receiving here. He gets led, he gets fed, he gets protected, he gets anointed, he gets the cup overflow. And if you miss that, it's very easy to think, well, I'm all my own, on my own and I have to do this alone and of course I want and God doesn't show up when I want him to. That's not the truth. The truth is, is that God is a good shepherd. And this good shepherd will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And sometimes those paths will involve some valleys of the shadow. Because we need to learn to trust his power. But God knows what we need. And when there's a disagreement between what I think I need and what God thinks I need, which one's true faith and which one's waste faith? We should worship in a second. Do you guys want to give yourself to the shepherd afresh? That's what I want to do this morning. Oh, I'm so exhausted sometimes by not just being shepherded by the Lord. I don't, I don't have any right to say, no, I'll suffer want. What? So why don't we stand? Someone can lead us in a song.
And why don't we do a, just a, some time? If you want to, you don't have to. Let's giving ourselves to the shepherd. Father, you're the good shepherd through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you even said that you are the good shepherd, that you laid down your life for the sheep. Father, from your psalm, you've told us that you are so committed to us. We will never actually be able to attain to understanding how thoughtful you are in your care of us, the same way that a sheep never really gets how much effort and wisdom a good shepherd brings to it to protect it and feed it and restore it and lead it and to get it home. Father, from this psalm, you've told us that you are actually wasteful in your honoring of us, that you pour your wine all over the floor to show us your kindness and goodness. Without regret, Father, I want to lift up to you my waste faith. I want to lift up to you judging how you want to restore my soul and criticizing how you want to lead me in the path path of righteousness. Lord, I'm so sorry. Father, my cup's been empty because I've, I've not wanted to participate with what you're actually doing. Father, would you forgive me and forgive us, Lord, where we have attacked you in the middle of the valley instead of finding our comfort in your presence. God, where we have waste faith, where we assume I'm in a valley, I must be alone. God, would you help us to repent, to hate these thoughts and to hate these feelings that aren't our friends and aren't from the Spirit and to come and believe afresh that you won't permit, as we sang earlier, any weapon formed against us to prosper. God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the riches of kindness that you have wasted on us. Though it's not a waste. Father, that we we can't get away from your goodness because you've set your heart to pursue us every day of our life until we live with you forever. Father, when we, when we have things in our mind, whether it's the presence of enemies or things not going right that, that rob us of knowing that we can feast in your presence, Lord. There's something not going right. There's something we wish were different. And we just say, I can't eat and enjoy the presence of God because of this. Father, I pray we would reject that waste faith. By the power of the Spirit. And know the truth. Father, I want to humble myself before you. Still, all these years later, I'm afraid of a life lived only for your glory and only for your name's sake. I'm so selfish. God, I want a true deliverance. Lord, I want to be led in the path of righteousness for the sake of the praise of the glorious grace of the risen Lord Jesus Christ the honor of the Father. I pray that you do that for every longing heart in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said,